Tonight, we're replaying an episode on the murder of Caitlin Markham, because there's been new development in the case. Caitlin, some of you might remember, as the 22-year-old art student when she was last seen at her apartment in Fairfield, Ohio, on August 13, 2011. Her remains were discovered at a dump site in Cedar Grove, Indiana, just two years later. Now, last week, the Butler County Prosecutor's Office confirmed the arrest of 35-year-old Jonathan Palmerton on one count of perjury for allegedly lying to investigators. The arrest came after a sealed indictment by a grand jury. Now, Palmerton was a friend and neighbor of Caitlin and a very good friend to Caitlin's fiancé, John Carter. Palmerton's arrest is the first in this case. Prior to the arrest, police obtained a warrant to search Palmerton's place on Ant Court in Fairfield. A charge of perjury means investigators believe Palmerton lied about something. Now, for the record, an arrest is not the same as guilt, nor does it mean that Palmerton is a suspect in her murder. We have to be patient and see where this goes. And police have not released any further details, but this could be a significant step forward in solving this cold case. Hi, everybody. In August of 2011, Caitlin Markham was facing so many changes in her life. A young woman who friends described as sweet, intelligent, and bubbly was two days away from her 22nd birthday. She was three weeks from graduating from the Art Institute of Cincinnati, where she had honed her skills as an exceedingly talented artist. She was making plans to move out of the townhome on Dorshire Drive, where she lived alone, and move in with her fiancé, John Carter, and his mom, who were just around the corner. And that was all in anticipation of one final push to save money for Caitlin and John's plans to move west to Colorado in November. There was no particular reason for the move, just a change of scenery. Caitlin and John had been together for six years. Clearly, they saw many more years together. Meanwhile, Caitlin was still juggling two jobs. She worked at David's Bridal and at the college bookstore. And she was still attending her final classes. Caitlin was a busy young woman who had outlined her future and was taking steps to make it happen. But sadly, none of it was going to happen. We don't know if Caitlin's life ended on August 14, 2011. We only know that it was just after midnight that day that we last know her to be alive. So let's go back a few hours before then to Caitlin's final day, August 13, about a half hour north of Cincinnati. That day, she finished a long shift at David's Bridal in Tri-County Mall. And by the time she got home at nearly 9 p.m., her fiancé, John, was already there. Another friend, Brad, came over to hang out. Caitlin was busy on the computer, possibly doing schoolwork. John and Brad were talking and smoking. Caitlin did not like how much money John spent on his weed, since they were supposed to be saving for Colorado. And a Batman movie was playing out on the TV. As the evening wore on, Brad decided to leave. He later said he felt some tension between the two and felt out of place. So John finished the movie alone, 
then told Caitlin he was bored. It was Saturday night, and he wanted to do something. So he was going over to see his friend Travis, where a small group of friends were hanging out around a bonfire. According to John, Caitlin was annoyed that he was leaving. As he headed out the door, she handed him a bag of old documents she wanted destroyed, old bank statements and such that she didn't want to pack for the move. John agreed to throw them in the fire. And that's what he did. As he stood in the backyard of Travis's house, watching the documents burn in the fire pit, he got a couple of texts from Caitlin. One was asking him what he was up to. Another forwarded a picture that she had told him about, a photo she really liked that her boss had taken of her. That last text, with its photo, would be the last communication anyone would ever have from Caitlin. It was sent at 12.52 a.m. John Carter stayed up late that night, as he always did, and around 4 a.m., he decided to send Caitlin a text message, a good morning message, so she would think of him and smile when she woke up. He expected to hear from her when she saw it, but she never texted back. John didn't notice right away, because he had slept the day away. He only got up from bed just in time to get to work at 5 p.m. He delivered pizza for Papa John's. As he threw on his clothes and headed out, he was thinking about how odd it was that Caitlin hadn't texted him at all during the day. So he tried calling her, but his calls went unanswered. He chalked it up to her being at work, another long shift at David's bridal, and that she was probably just too busy to respond. But as afternoon turned into evening, John started panicking. Caitlin should be home by now. He told his boss he was worried. He said he needed to run over to her house to check on her. As he arrived at the townhouse, he saw Caitlin's car in the drive. That was not comforting. If she was home, she would have answered his calls. Inside the town home, John found Caitlin's dog Murphy locked in the bedroom. He had defecated on the floor. Clearly, he hadn't been walked in quite some time. Caitlin's purse and car keys were on her bed. Her cell phone was gone. John confirmed with Caitlin's dad, David Markham, that he hadn't seen her. She also hadn't shown up for her shift at the bridal store. So John called police. Fairfield police officers met him at Caitlin's townhouse. It was approaching 8 p.m. by now. The police did a walk of the house, but Caitlin hadn't even been missing for 24 hours yet. Maybe that's why they didn't secure the house or even process it as a possible crime scene. Over the next few days, police talked to several family and friends. Meanwhile, those same family and friends went to work looking for Caitlin. Within 48 hours, they had organized their first search party and spent the day passing out and posting hundreds of missing posters and flyers. But there was no sign of Caitlin and no evidence to indicate whether she was even dead or alive. And as the weeks went on, there was no activity on her cell phone, her credit cards, her bank account. And so it went for the next two years. 
The next chapter in this case didn't come until April 7, 2013, 21 months after Caitlin vanished. In Cedar Grove, Indiana, a community that's more than a half hour's drive from Fairfield, a couple named Andy and Natalie Hicks were looking for scrap metal. Someone had dumped trash illegally off the side of Big Cedar Road. That was a desolate stretch with little traffic. It was bordered by a grassy shoulder, trees, and a creek. Sorting through the trash, Andy Hicks picked up a bone and immediately recognized it as a human jaw. He tucked it into the crook of a tree while he called 911. As the Indiana State Police headed their way, Natalie Hicks found a plastic Kroger grocery bag, and she opened it to find a human skull with the hair still attached. The whole scene was no more than 15 feet from the road, but the topography here had concealed it for years because the land dropped steeply beyond the road's shoulder. One would need to leave a car and walk to the edge of the road and look down to spot the dumped items. And since this rural road was isolated, there was not much reason for anyone to be leaving their car. That fact would make Indiana authorities theorize that a killer was familiar with this spot and had chosen it purposefully for that reason. Well, the state of Indiana called the city of Fairfield in Ohio with news of those bones. Even before they knew what they had, they knew Fairfield was missing a young woman and thought it quite possibly this was her. And so Fairfield called Caitlin's father, David Markham, so he was at least aware that a body was found. It would take a couple more days before investigators showed up on his doorstep and knocked on the door to deliver the news in person. Comparison of dental records proved it was indeed Caitlin. David Markham experienced the bittersweet emotions that come with such news. It was that raw grief that comes from knowing his daughter is never coming home again. And yet a sense of relief that she had been found. David said some people had wondered if Caitlin had walked away from her life. He always knew better. There was no way she left voluntarily. But at least now, nobody was ever going to say that to him again. About 80% of her bones were recovered. Actually, even more small bones would be found a year later, yards from the original site. Animals were the likely culprit, scattering the remains over the years. The Franklin County, Indiana coroner ruled Caitlin's death a homicide. Of that, there was little doubt. But what killed her? That, even to this day, the coroner cannot say. While Caitlin's skull was in a bag, it didn't appear she was dismembered. More likely, a bag had been placed over her head. It wasn't to strangle her. And that left investigators to theorize about why a killer would have done that. It could be she was killed by someone she knew, someone whose guilt compelled him to hide the face that he knew too well. Or it's possible that whatever befell Caitlin, it caused bleeding, and the bag was an effort to keep a killer's car clean while he transported her body. Troopers examined the trash site and learned the identity of the folks who had dumped it. They paid them a visit. 
but they determined that they had tossed that trash over the side of the road four years before Caitlin had even disappeared. It was another dead end. Over the years, there has been a lot of criticism of the investigation in this case. As I said earlier, Caitlin's house, where it's very likely she was either killed or abducted from since her car hadn't been moved, was not immediately secured or processed. It took three more days for that to happen. But in the meantime, others had been in and out of the house. Police also didn't speak to neighbors right away to get their fresh accounts of anything they might have seen or heard. And some friends of Caitlin, who had seen her in the 24 hours before she disappeared, said they had never been interviewed by police. It's quite possible the interstate nature of this case also hindered the investigation. Fairfield police had the missing persons case, but the murder case was the jurisdiction of Indiana, since that's where her remains were found. Caitlin's family said it seemed to them that Fairfield just didn't want much to do with her case anymore after that. Whenever they would call their hometown police to ask about progress in the case, someone from Indiana would call them back. Two years ago, something very interesting happened that caught the attention of everyone who was following Caitlin's unsolved homicide. A man named Michael Strauss was arrested for stalking and murdering a 23-year-old woman named Ellen Wyke. Ellen was missing from her house on July 29, 2018. She lived in Westchester. Strauss was from Liberty Township. Both of those communities were in Ohio's Butler County, maybe 10 miles from where Caitlin had lived. Ellen's body was eventually found in a nearby field, and police found evidence that Strauss had stalked Ellen for seven months, secretly making videos of her in public before suffocating her by putting a bag over her head. Strauss was convicted of her murder, and he's in prison now. But here's what raised a lot of eyebrows. After his arrest, photos surfaced on social media showing Caitlin, her fiancé John, and Strauss in the same photo. They were group photos. It's not even clear if they knew each other, but they were at least hanging out with the same people. To date, Strauss has not admitted any connection to Caitlin's case, nor has he been charged. Cross state lines, like you said, you know, it's just, it's tough and it, I hope they find something soon. I hope somebody comes, you know, comes through soon and says, you know, give them some more information because whoever did this, it's not their first time. Yeah, we've seen that time again, Ohio, especially along the border with other states. Uh, we see that time again, the very big challenges that law enforcement faces when, you know, somebody lives on one side, is killed or taken to the other side. It's, it's just a whole other layer of, of issues that have to be dealt with. All right. Well, that's it for our midweek 10-minute mystery. We'll see you here Sunday for our next regular full-sized Ohio mystery episode. In the meantime, enjoy the rest of your week, and may all of your mysteries have happy endings. The Battle of Waterloo was one of the most famous turning points in world history.
But what happened next? My name's David Montgomery, and I'm the host of The Siecla, a history podcast that tackles exactly that. Join me as I cover France's overlooked century in between Napoleon and World War I. The Siecla, spelled S-I-E-C-L-E, is part of the Evergreen Podcast Network and can be found wherever you get podcasts.